The following episode contains some adult language. If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. We have a lot of ambitions for building out more things that people can interact and work with and then take away the virtual reality walls and then do it in your own living room. And I found that in a lot of different bands, there's always someone like me. There's always someone who's deeper than technology and also in music. When it comes to accelerating the metaverse, Three Pound XR CEO and founder Robin Mulder is our rock star, quite literally. Robin is both a software engineer and a gifted musician. In the 1990s, she was one of the founders of pioneering alternative rock band Jack Off Jill. Today, Robin combines her musical background and her software skills to create new VR applications. She founded her Michigan-based software company Three Pound Games in 2008. And earlier this year, she and her Three Pound XR staff debuted immersive training experiences for the hospitality, industrial, and medical fields. These are gamified applications that both teach hands-on skills very well and are a lot of fun, and were incorporated into a first-of-its-kind pilot program for 1,000 staff members at Tucson Medical Center. And Robin says there's much more to come. Robin, I realize I am literally talking to a rock star. And I don't know that many people who have been software engineers by day and rock stars by night. Before we get to talking about three-pound XR and three-pound games, what first sparked your creative imagination, music or technology? Oh, that's such a tough question. Music has always been a part of my life. And I kind of think I took that for granted. I never thought of music as a career. And I was always yelled at for banging on that piano. So, <laughs> so you know, you kind of think things like, oh, well, that's not really a career choice. And I just didn't, I never thought anything of it. I thought everybody did this. I thought everybody wrote music and just noodled around and wrote things and wrote songs in their head all the time. And I was always addicted to technology since I was a little kid always taking things apart, not necessarily putting them back together correctly. There's always a a few extra screws. That's kind of like I improved the design by reducing (laughs) the amount of equipment needed to put the device together. And then as things progressed, I get more and more addicted to technology, but music's always been this really deep part of my life. But it's always been a really personal journey for me of like writing music for myself or just having tunes in my head or really enjoying other people's work. Over time, I once I got onto the world and went to college, that's kind of when I realized, oh, wait, not everybody's like this. And some people do the music and technology thing. That's cool. Let me start getting together with those types of people. Started to play a little bit around in some bands and experimenting with that in, in college, but didn't really dive deep into music until... I'm working as an actual engineer in Florida, like like real job, full-time job. And that's when I realized, oh, wow, a lot of people who are engineers are musicians. And you start seeing those patterns. You'll be in a boardroom full of people and you could say, hey, who in here plays an instrument? And like 
everybody will raise their hand. And then you start getting the really funny little segments too, like who plays trumpet and a whole lot of people will raise their hands, which is just bizarre to me that so many people play some kind of horn instrument or bass and frequently left-handed engineer. So there's these funny little filtering things that happen as you get out into the world and you start to find your people and find where you kind of belong and fit into these groups. So that's kind of where I got into the, all right, well, you know, I'm doing music. This is cool. Let me go play with some bands. I find some different people. I play out a little bit here and there, a little bit of cover band, a little bit of original stuff. Eventually over time, I, I was in a record store and the guy behind the counter, I'm just talking to him and he's just telling me like, oh yeah, I know this group that's, you know, hanging out, jamming, whatever. And this was Jordy White, who later became the bass player for Marilyn Manson. So, you know, right away, I was like tied into that group. And as it turns out, the person that, you know, he's introducing me to, Jessica became my partner in crime for Jack Off Jill. And of course, we play our first show with Manson. And Jordy wasn't in the band at the time, but later he became the bass player. So there we are in this tight-knit South Florida insane goth industrial evolution that's happening in that area and still you know you just do this stuff you just like yeah we're playing shows yes we're headlining squeeze you know you don't really think anything of it it's just stuff that you do at nighttime and then during the day you're doing an engineering job and i'm doing things like recanalization systems where you stick a very high speed spinning device that's actually got liquid cooled around it and it's in a like a catheter type thing you shove it down somebody's leg there's a lot of controls and systems that have to go into that to make sure that the rate of fluid is correct and that you don't burn people up you know like i'm programming that device i'm working in laser tomography where you shoot a laser around something like a breast and then you do back projection convolution to take that data reconvolve it and shove it up onto the screen like you know like that's the kind of stuff I'm doing during the day. And at night I'm playing on stage. So <laughs> it's really, really fun though. It was just such a cool time to be able to tap into those parts of my brain and just do crazy shit. And I found that in a lot of different bands, there's always someone like me. There's always someone who's deep rooted in technology and also in music. So if you look in Marilyn Manson, Steven, Pogo, who's a keyboard player, he was an industrial engineer. This guy is really, really smart. We would always be like sitting in the back of the bus, like cracking engineering jokes. And everyone's like, you guys are nerds. And we're like, yes, we are. <laughs> so what? <laughs> nerds of the world unite. When I first researched you, I thought, well, how in the world did she do those two careers? But I'm getting the impression talking to you that this was very soul renewing for you, that you were having fun being the basis for Jack Off Jill and being the software engineer during the day. What right, yeah, it, it sounds implausible. Sometimes when I actually tell people that I, I try to tell them my path of how it is that I went through life as an engineer and evolved into project management, evolved into running companies and evolved in, you know, like that whole path. And then I go back and I try to tell them the path of being a musician. And you can just, you know, follow it along, but it's kind of complicated to explain how do you do both of these things. And it's just simply that I don't sleep a lot, for one. For another thing, instead of 
coming home and just checking off my brain. Instead, I'm switching my brain to another mode. And now I'm saying, oh, okay, great. Instead of being super obsessed about technology right now, I'm going to get super obsessed about like art and music and build stuff and create things. Because I'm creating stuff during the day, but you're still using slightly different parts of your brain when you're doing that. The analysis is deeper and the, the creativity is there. It's just a little bit lessened. And the analysis, like metrics data analysis and understanding where you're doing and the pathing, like that's just bigger. And when you flip your other part of the brain, then you're deep into the creativity and you're less worried about structure. So it's really nice to have that balance back and forth. It's sort of like a work-work balance in a way of getting to do lots of cool stuff. Not, I never think of it like, oh, I'm working all the time. I'm thinking of it like I get to do all this cool stuff. What's one of your absolute favorite creative lessons from that time that you apply to the cool stuff you're doing today with three pound gains and three pound XR? It's really just the fact that when you get stuck on one project, have other stuff that's so totally different so that you can leverage all the facets, or light up all the areas of your brain and not just get stuck in one area. So, you know, you might have a boring desk job even that you're just doing accounting or something like that, which actually, you know, isn't that boring when you really get down into the numbers and the spreadsheets and stuff. It could be terribly interesting. But you could see over time, the repeating loops would get boring. If you have that going on, then go do something crazy, like get an easel and go paint mountains. I don't know, just do something totally different. Don't just come home and turn your brain off. Just activate a different part of your brain. And sometimes it might take a couple of different stacks to kind of do that, because sometimes you get home and you're like, oh, I'm drained and not in the mood to do this, but maybe I could go do something totally different in a different way, like go outside and garden or go reorganize things or do something that's going to just tap into different areas and leverage all of your skills. Then you're basically going to refresh your brain in a lot of ways so that when you go back to work the next day, you're going to see things with a different perspective because you, you just, you just lived a different life for a few hours. Like, why wouldn't you do that? And some people do this a lot with their whole life. I'm doing it in short parts of my life. I'm just flipping my life all the time. Whereas a lot of people do the, oh, I was an accountant for eight years and then I threw it all away and I decided to, you know, go be a gardener and, and, you know, clip roses or something like that. And like they found a passion for something totally wildly different. I posit that you should just do it all. Like, don't be afraid to just start tapping into those areas now. That's the creative side of you. Don't wait for the opportunity to take time off or change your career. Just start. What do you got to lose? You know, it'll just be fun and it's a great hobby and maybe they'll turn into something and maybe you'll find that you don't like it. Maybe you'll find that you love it and that you should do it now. Like, let's go. Before we get to looking at three pound XR, what was one of the absolute most fun experiences you ever had with your band? <laughs> oh, there's so, there's so many inappropriate stories that I'm rifling through <laughs> my brain of. Which part was, <laughs> which part is politically correct enough to talk about? I actually think some of the pranks on tour were a lot of fun. There was one tour in particular in the early days, we were opening for Manson, and these are our best buds back in the day, right? So they're two doors down, warehouses. We'd all work, we'd all play in warehouses to practice. So they're just a couple of doors down, and we'd go on tour together. 
So they took us on this one tour and it was just pranks galore. You know, like one day I went walking along this, this pier and there was a dead fish there. And I look up and there's the magazine with the cover and it's like, oh, Marilyn Manson, Jekyll Chill opening or whatever. But it's, of course, a big picture of them. And so I took the front cover and I took the fish and I wrapped it up and I slid it under the door. Oh, yeah, there was it just that's like just the beginning. And then it really escalated. I shudder to think what you did next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was um there was a piece of steak that came back. I think this might have been a different tour, but there was uh somebody took home a piece of steak from a restaurant. We went out to a really nice restaurant one time. So imagine us all super heavy goth and we're in a restaurant in New Orleans. And at the end of it, somebody took home a piece of leftover steak because it was delicious steak. But then they're like, well, what am I going to reheat it in? You know, you don't think about these things when you do this. So it ended up in a sock shoved in. I think it was in Jordy's suitcase at one point. Like, you know, some of these things are a little <laughs> gross, but they were still very funny at the time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't traveling with you at that point in time. I don't think I did that one. I'm pretty sure that was I'm pretty sure that was my guitar player. <laughs> Everybody had their turn at doing something crazy, for sure. No doubt about it. We all we all contributed. <laughs> Fast forward to today with some additional different kinds of cool stuff that you're doing. How did you first come to create Three Pound Games, your company? Initially, I took that path of engineering. So the engineering path and the music path drove me into California. So we were out there. The drummer for Nine Inch Nails, Chris Verena, was recording our second album, our full-length album, actually, because there was a there was also an EP in there. So there I am at his house all the time, and we're working on this album and all that. And in this time is when my band started to kind of come undone because we couldn't get another deal. It was complicated. This is when the music industry was especially bad to be in and especially sexist, no doubt about that. So there was lots of problems with that, but we finished up that album. And while I'm doing that, I was running a company, Incubator Corporation in Santa Monica. So I initially just started off like, oh, I'll just be like a graphic designer here and do some art stuff with you guys because I'm going on tour. That didn't happen right away. And one thing led to another. And then before you know it, I'm running the company. And it's like, I'm the, I was the president of the company and I was running like, was it CEO? I think I was president. I'm not actually sure anymore. At six companies under me and we were creating internet properties and then selling them off to whatever we could. So some of them were way ahead of their time. Like we were actually telling in 2000, a bunch of movies, the heads of movies, companies, like, you know, that all this stuff's going to be online, right? So we need to get the rights down, like geographical rights. This stuff needs to be figured out and it needs to be licensable. And we have applications that we can do this. We can do this online. What a concept, right? This is 1999. And they were all like, nope. So, so there were some of those moments that were fun. And we also had a health and wellness magazine combo pill, nutritional, whatever kind of thing. It was a magazine combined with like supplements and had a bunch of cool tie-ins like the bionic woman, Lizzie Wagner. She was one of the people I every time she'd come into the office, everyone would have to do the sound. Like, and we would try not to, but somebody would inevitably do it. A lot of fun there. 
that grocery king guy. I can't remember his name. Phil Lempert or something like that. I don't know if that's familiar, but there's been a couple. Andrew Wilde, he was on the board. He was a character. So there was like all the stuff going on in Santa Monica while I'm recording this album. And this is 1999 at the end of this. We saw the writing on the wall. We knew that the internet stuff was all going to crash. So it was time to sell properties, figure out what to do about that, because there was just no way. There was no way this was going to go well. And my money guy for the company was from Michigan. So I ended up out here in Michigan starting a technology development incubator. And they were basically asking me, like, well, what should we do? What should we do? And I'm like, you know, be cool, guys. Why don't we take technologies from one business domain and take it and put it into a different industry? Because, you know, they don't talk to each other like medical into manufacturing or back and forth. Because that's what we did. And we got some cool clients. Fraunhofer was one of them. Fraunhofer had aluminum foam. So it was aluminum where they had put air pockets into it, which, of course, are incredibly structurally sound. Such a cool idea in 2000 making trucks lightweight. This is the whole goal. We can make vehicles much more lightweight, all that sort of thing. A little too early, though. People didn't care. So, you know, that's how we got out to Michigan. And over time, you know, there were a bunch of those technologies that were too early. Hydrogen fuel cells were another one. Nobody wanted to talk about that in 2000. So there I was in Michigan. And at this point, I'm kind of doing the evaluation of what do I want to do next? Because I've run this internet incubator corporation. I've been a CTO of this technology development incubator, which is cool. We had a lot of good successes out of these things. Where do I want to go next with this? And the next stepping stone for me was to find a way to bring my art side and my engineering side like fully together and really make this a thing. And Colin, my husband, he is a game designer. So you look at all this, like I've always wanted to have a game company. He's always wanted to have a game company. This is the opportunity to really leverage all of the art from both of us, as well as my engineering project management and knowing how to run a company. Why wouldn't we just start a game company? So initially we started off as a testing company, three pound test, because we wanted to pitch for the film incentives in Michigan to build a facility of 24 hour capability testing to do like Europe and Japan and the West Coast to try to get that built out. That unfortunately didn't work out. So then we went straight to the game company and said, okay, let's just start building games, see how that goes. So we did some mobile development there, got our feet wet on that, did a little bit in language learning with mobile devices. I've always, I love learning languages. I'm really bad at it. So what do you do when you're really bad at something? You build an application. (laughs) (laughs) So that was really, really fun, but also gave us the, these are relatively contained, easy to understand projects that we can accomplish and ship and get that done while it is we're funding the company through doing other work. And, you know, we built the company in such a way that we could bring in other types of work to support the figuring out how to build games and figuring out how to do this in the early days. And that all worked great. So we did that for a while. And over time, 
mobile, we could see mobile's kind of fading in the interest level. And finally, finally, virtual reality was starting to become commercially viable. So I met Chris Castaldi, our technical director, and he brings over the Vive, and it's like all oh, these the satellites, and it's so complicated to get set up. It's like a 14-step process to set it up, and it doesn't work half the time when you plug the stuff in. You have to smack it around a few times. But still, it worked. But still, it was incredible. And it was like an amazing experience. And in that moment, I'm like, well, this is what we want to do. This is it. Maybe this isn't commercially viable still, even though these are commercially viable devices. Let's see what the next device comes out. So the Oculus Rift comes out. And then I'm like at Best Buy, like, give me my device. I need this. I have to have this. Because it was much more simple. Two satellites, yes, we still need a computer, but it was still like, you know, the basic Rift was still a solid machine. It was pretty simple. And yeah, we used the computer. And we worked on that for a while. We started getting our feet wet there, building systems and libraries, the movement system for Oculus and Vive, put that out on the asset store. So that was really fun. Started working on Space Dragon, got involved with Slime Rancher VR, which, by the way, they just did Slime Rancher 2. So that's exciting. Excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing that pretty soon. Then it's just the evolution. It's just the evolution of you just keep building and building and building to the point of where people are coming to you and saying, can't you build VR for us? Like we have business stuff. We have business needs. And of course, I understand all these business domains because I've worked at all these business domains. So going into medical, I've got a medical background. I've got a medical background. I, you know, I, I can tap into these different areas of my entire past and bring that into virtual reality and then still get the leverage like all the facets of my brain like oh i get to use the analytical side and the creative side pull it all together and we can build an application and actually move the needle for real people so that's really exciting people in the company love this because they get to work on a business application that really helps people they get to work on a game that's really really fun and crazy creative and you have a nice balance in your work life and not just just sitting there as an accountant doing the same job over and over again. Isn't it fun when your work day is, I get to do this and I get to do that. And earlier this year, you got to do something pretty amazing in the evolution of your company to an accelerator, three pound XR mm-hmm. with simulations. I wish you'd tell me about those. Right. So so that was the next evolution for us is we did the game company and now we're building games and and working with other people and helping them build applications. And then you start to see what the problems are in XR. Nobody knows how to build anything. Only the game people know how to build stuff. Okay, that's cool. So yeah, we could go do work for hire for you and build you things, but that's not moving the needle. All that's doing is giving you a project that you don't know what to do with. Maybe you go and put it in front of a few people. Maybe it gets used at the auto show, something like that. Yeah, okay, that's great. But how are we going to really move the needle for the adoption of XR as a whole and raise the entire ecosystem? We have to do something bigger than this. So what we did was stepped up out of 3-pound games, and we're still there under the covers. And now we have 3-pound XR as the accelerator. So we've done things like partnered with Tucson Medical Center, they don't know how to build XR application, nor do they really want to. So what we've done there is we've licensed their branding, their hospital rooms, like we've digital twin their hospital rooms. 
their policies and procedures, the false care bundles in this case. And we built these applications. We're out here right now in Arizona, kicking off a study, hopefully in the next week or so. And that's one way that we accelerate. So they don't have to worry about things. They can use the applications. We'll take care of them. We'll make sure that they know what to do with their devices. We'll point them in a direction of applications that maybe other people have built. We'll work with them and help get funding for other programs that we'll build and work with them. And then we'll go work with other hospitals and we'll go build stuff with them. And then we'll go back to Tucson and say, hey, you know what? We worked with these guys over here. We got this new application. You guys want it. And by doing this, we'll end up with all these different applications that we worked on with different people, different companies. And eventually you'll have a whole lot of applications on your headset instead of just one, two, three. Because what happens right now is people buy a bunch of headsets. They're sitting in the closet because they use them for that one application or that two applications. They need 10. They need 20. They need a lot. They need to be able to like use them for that group and that group and, you know, bring these guys in for a quick turnaround. Okay, great. Let's use this headset for something else. So they're actually getting used. Then everyone's going to realize, oh, this is bringing value to the organization. Right, right now we have to, we have to kind of justify the value proposition in a lot of ways. And it's easy to tell the stories on why those specific needles will move, like fall prevention. If we could prevent one fall in a hospital, how many millions of dollars is that? It's a lot, you know, if the environmental services team doesn't throw out one hearing aid, that's probably $6,000, you know, like some of those sort of things. Maybe they don't have a, maybe they don't have an infectious disease outbreak because they're cleaning the room better. There's a lot of different areas that we can tap into for realized cost savings and truly understanding the cost benefit analysis of these programs. The problem with XR right now is nobody has all this real hard data yet. So this is one thing that we're all working toward. And one way that as an accelerator is that we get more applications on your headset. You're using the headset more and more and more. Now we'll be able to collect all this data. Look, these guys are using this in environmental services. Things are getting cleaned better. The turnover is less because they have a better understanding of the checklist. They know what they're supposed to do in their job. They're not afraid to walk into the room because they don't, you know, what there might be sharps there and I might get hurt. And instead, they're better prepared. So they, they're familiar with everything. There might be less turnover. It's easier to onboard people because now they can just pop on the headset and get trained. Piece of cake. So we're really moving the needle for people like Tucson Medical Center. And we're looking to do it with some other medical facilities as well. We've actually we're just out at another one recently that I can't talk about just yet. But we're really excited about that as well. And another area on the accelerator is that we also bring in companies who can't build the stuff that we build, the really deep, rich, immersive experience that's a game, gamified, know how to use Unity, really know how to optimize it and fit it on a quest. That's a very specific skill. Our latest project there is XR Workout. They totally know what they're doing. They're a very sophisticated company. They have a great plan. They got a business model. They have a product. It's written in Godot. Godot doesn't scale and they need to be able to like make this extensive and build out a real team around this product, not just, you know, have a couple people trying really hard to get it done. So what we're doing with them is we're working directly with their development team 
and we're rebuilding this application in Unity, training them on Unity so they know how to do this. And we're going to get them accelerated as a company and then send them on the way, kick them out of the nest. Here you go. You're all set. Go hire people to come do the next bits so that you're not stuck with us. You're accelerated and on your own and now capable of doing this on your own. It occurs to me that what you're doing here could apply to just about teaching anything. A teacher, for example, who wants to know how to show her class, let's just say how to make ceramics might want to get in touch with you. How might an arts person who really wants to know more about accelerating the metaverse and doesn't know where to start, get going and stay in the metaverse, sharing what they know? The way that people can get involved with us or with anybody in the metaverse or as an artist is to get a plan together, understand what you want to do. Where are you trying to go? What's the goal of the application? Have maybe do a little concept art, maybe like have a little bit of flavor about, you know, it's like this, it's like this mobile device, but it's this thing over here. Try to have some really good description and understanding of what you're trying to create there. There's a lot of people out there that will come to me and they're just like, oh, can't you just make me a cool app that does X? Like, yes, of course we can, but then I'm driving the vision. You need to be the vision owner. You need to drive the messaging you need to be the person that answers all the questions. Like, I want to set you up for success. If we're accelerating you, it is you that is telling the story. So you need to have your story together first. Then you tell us your story. Now we can build something around that story because now we understand what your vision is and how to make your vision awesome. We're not just doing the simulations, not just training, I guess. It's like, it's really, if you're going to accelerate, we could accelerate anybody. We could accelerate anybody for anything. And I don't really care what the business domain is. What really matters to me is that we, as a company, are very much aligned with your mission. And we know that we accelerate you, you you truly believe in your mission, and you're going to take it all the way. Because now it's really worthwhile. Like, let's make this go. If you're not sure of yourself and you're not ready, then you're going to fall. But if you kind of have a plan together and you're like, yeah, I've got it worked out. I'm going to do this, this, and this. I got this person lined up for marketing. I've got help here, 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 and here. I have a plan. I can pitch it. I believe in this project. That's when you're ready to start being accelerated because you've got it all together. You know where you're going. And that's, I guess that's the takeaway really is figure out where you want to go. Then let's talk, right? What if we have somebody who is an author and they are wondering how in the world can you accelerate me? I just have a book here that I wrote. What would you say? Oh my God, that's beautiful. Are you kidding me? If you have a book that you've written, is it a fantasy? Like what kind of book is it? Where does it go? Does it have this story already? How many stories are there? So this could become an adventure game that you go through, a choose your own adventure kind of game. It could just be the story that unfolds, you know, as as a game or it could be an experience that's on rails and like, yes, I'm just telling you the story and I have lots of character interaction and that sort of thing. Somebody who has a, like a solid book together has solid formed ideas. And if it's published, that means we've already got people interested in this IP, which means it would be easy to start leveraging. Oh, when we're going to put out, we're going to put out a VR experience to go with the book. How cool is that? Like, That's a great one. Absolutely. 
I can foresee a lot of authors getting a hold of that website, threepoundxr.com. Right? Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the best thing because character development, that's hard. You know, if you spend a lot of time writing a book, writing a book is a lot of work. And there's so much you have to dig into. You've already thought about the environment. You've already thought about your characters. You've already thought about how they interact with each other. This is a big chunk of what we do in virtual reality is try to understand all of the different layers of interaction between where am I standing? How do I feel? What do I feel like when I'm here? What are the mechanics? Like I am, how do I move in this space? Like kinesthetically, how do I move and interact in this space? Authors oftentimes already have that figured out because they have to describe it. Like authors have quite the leg up for interacting with people in the virtual reality space because they already understand scene settings and like, what do things sound like? How did you describe how they sounded like? Where is that in your book? When you talked about the the people going out into the field and they heard crickets or whatever, like, okay, why is that? Is that because we're in this region? What does that sound like? What does it look like in the sky because you're in this location? There's so much to get out of something like that. That would be a cool experience to do a book treatment of a virtual reality experience. I'd be doing you a real disservice if I didn't tell people where they can find some of these simulations on your YouTube channel. I love especially that there's room to make mistakes. You've got a hospitality simulation. You've got four medical simulations at this point, and I believe a factory simulation. I'm not sure if you can tell me where you would really like to go next, but I will ask that. What might you like to do next and how might you like to accelerate the metaverse that you haven't yet with 3-pound XR? There's a couple of things that we're tapping into right now, and they leap off of some of these things that we're already doing, changing out models and and like we're deep in multiplayer. So when we do anything that's with a business client or an industry-based client, we always put it out as a multiplayer option because that's where it's at. Like having people in the room, talking together, pointing at things like, oh, I like this over here. How does this work? And or in a training simulation, it might be that the observer is standing there saying, Ooh, you know, you keep missing that corner. Maybe we should have a little conversation about that. Like, that's where things really move is when people pay attention and they're communicating and they're working together. So the next step for us there is to kind of build that out more, especially in the apps that we're promoting and we're building, like the medical simulations. We'd like to put in things like, you know, changing out parts in there and making the room, you click the button and now the room flips to this whole other room and not just digital twinning different rooms, but flipping the configurations around so that you just get familiar with all kinds of things, all kinds of different scenarios. We have randomization in all of our scenarios. It'd be great to take it to the next level. It'd be great to build the entire hospital. It'd be great to make it so that you have to do your job from the second that you walk into the hospital and go through the whole thing, checking in with the administration desk, make sure that you fill the supply cart, like all of those little mini game factors, stacking them up on top of each other to the point of where I have a complete hospital simulator and there's four different people doing four different jobs and they all work together. We have a lot of ambitions about where you can go with all of this, and some of them tiptoe into the, that's part of the greater metaverse conversation, where you have a lot of people in here, and you have a lot of capabilities of bringing in new people and just having them observe and, and be part of it, or coming in and just get some light training or understand what's going on. There's so many places we can go. That's the best part about working in this industry is 
every conversation just turns into another, wow, of course we can do this. And of course we could build all this stuff out. And the next step for us too is we're doing focusing a lot on VR. We're doing that because AR hasn't really been there. AR has been pretty limited. The field of view is very small. The contrast ratio isn't great. So, you know, a lot of people get in AR for the first time and they're quite disappointed in it because they thought it was going to be like the movies. Then it's not. And it's coming. It's definitely coming. The next headset for the Oculus Quest, the Cambria is coming out and that's got, you know, a much better pass-through camera. That's going to create a whole lot of opportunities for extended reality and mixed reality options. We're working deep with hand tracking right now. We have a system, we have a game called Grocket. It's also our core systems library. It's called the Grow Kit. So in one way, it just we just say it differently. So it's the Grow Kit, one of their systems and libraries. It's Grocket when it's the game. And we'd like to put out this game that's called Grocket. That's this short mini game, lots of people collaborating and having fun together that eventually evolves into you too could configure your own sections like programmatically and use our core systems of libraries inside the application. So we have a lot of ambitions for, you know, building out more things that people can interact and work with and then take away the walls, the virtual reality walls, and then do it in your own living room. There's no reason a lot of applications can't be done that way. If it's a fun game or if it's a training application, sure, I might have I might have digital twin Tucson Medical Center's exact room, and that's what we're teaching you on in virtual reality. And that makes sense because I don't want to waste a room. I don't want to mess up a room that's desperately needed. I want to put you in virtual reality. But what happens when I have some great augmented reality glasses? I'll just take those policies and procedures, those care bundles, and I'll put those in the augmented reality headset. And you're just going to like walk around. You're going to hit a little button on the side of the headset that says, check, I did that item on the checklist. Check, I did the next item on the checklist. What do I do now? And it comes up in view. So then we can become the checklist creators for the same things that we create the virtual reality. So there's lots of options. We have, there's a lot going on. <laughs> I want an update on that Crockett when you do it. Wow, that would be incredible to work on. Yeah, for sure. What has been one of your absolute favorite responses so far to one of the learning simulations you've done? Anybody participating in this and learning from your VR simulations? I think it's the fact that people really understand how important it is when they get in and they realize, when they realize that they miss something and they have that, as soon as they go to the, we have Epic screens. So Epic is the computer system that most hospitals use. So we have the Epic screens up in the checklist app. And when you're done, you're supposed to be checking this stuff off because in real life, nobody's checking it for you. So you, it's your responsibility. When you've done the room and you're getting your score, in that moment, there's this big aha that goes on in people when they go, wow, I was in suicide prevention and I missed the tweezers. How did I miss the tweezers? or the pill bottle. And, you know, I looked everywhere and I didn't see this. And then once you realize, oh, it's right over there on the couch, it just sort of blend it right in. It's that easy. It's that easy to make a mistake. And then you start becoming more vigilant and you start realizing, or like the, we have an electrostatic sprayer. It's a lot of fun. Every time you do that chair, you're supposed to spray the whole thing nice and evenly. Every time you do it with the black light off, 
and you honestly try to do it, you're going to miss something. There's like this one side. It's really easy to miss. The back side's really easy to miss. And as soon as you flip the light on, you're like, oh, wow, that's it. This could have created a transmissible disease issue. It could have been an infection created because I was careless. I'm going to be more careful now. And that is, that's worth it all right there. All it takes is us to save one life, stop one person from having a fall. And it's going to make all of these programs very, very worth it. Talk about making an incredible difference here. Let's do a shameless plug. What's coming out for your game company? And how do people find out more about 3-Pound XR? For the games, we have Space Dragon is coming out for the Quest. This was just announced at VR Spotlight London 2022. There's a, an awesome video up there that we worked with on with Untitled 9. They were an amazing film company, the story-based video. That is planned for October, hmm, I think we're looking at the 13th, 14th, something like that. We don't have a hard date just yet because there's a little bit of an approval process it takes. But that's exciting. That day, fly through the stars. You are literally two space dragons. You have one on each hand. And first you have to escape the space station. Like You don't even know what's going on really at that time. But then you're chasing around and trying to, you've got to blow up all these planets and take on these epic megafauna creatures and sometimes save them, sometimes destroy them, depending on the situation. It's just huge. The scale of this game is absolutely huge. The explosions are extraordinarily satisfactory. Like just, It's just fun to fly around in space and blow stuff up. Let's face it, that's what it's all about. I have a tremendous amount of music in this game. It was really, it was basically like writing an entire album's worth of work for this game. So that was really fun for me to build stuff that was different than trying to build like a cohesive album where you're trying to tap into like that raw, like a genre. I didn't have to worry about that. I was worrying about what fits this creature. This, it's a space whale, like it's so big and it's not, it's not metal, you know, like it's a space whale. So it's a little, got a little bit more of a, a groove about it than some of the other songs. The, the Phoenix has a little more of a time's ticking kind of vibe going on. Like I got to kind of get close to those creatures and understand what I thought would be the appropriate soundscape for those creatures. So it's a really fun game across the board. It's fun to play. That's a big thing. And for Vault of Stars, we've had this game out for a while on early access. Everyone loves it. It's absolutely fun. It's also flying, but we also let you transform into a golem body. So you take your energy and you place it on a rock and then you transfer your energy. Then boom, snap, now I'm a golem. And you're walking around like, rah, I'm big, big golem smashing stuff. Rah, rah, rah. So super fun there. And the basic gist there is, there were guardians, there were guardians who were protecting this island, and there was a big thing that happened, and there was a big fight, and one by one they fell. So you're now the last hope of creation. So a little piece of their star energy formed you, and now you have to go try to save the world, essentially, save the universe in a lot of ways. But you're just this little being a starlight. So this is also a, primarily starts as a flying game. We used our unique rubber band system. So you take your hands and any point you put your hand down, grab the grip and pull it away in any direction like a joystick. 
and then it'll move you in that direction. You're flying in that direction. Now you pull away faster and further away, then you go faster. So that's really exciting from a mechanic standpoint. And the scenery is just knock your socks off, gorgeous. So the thing that's coming out in the next month is we're bringing out a new island. That's the shark and the seahorse island. So that will be really digging into the story. Now, currently there's a full flyable cinematic that tells you the story. You go fly around there and check it out. Then you get into the tutorial island that, you know, you really get some serious onboarding about how to use the mechanics, a little bit of background on the story. Now we're going to give you the, like, this is the island. This is the first start of it. So we're going to do areas one and two and like first landing areas. We're going to start doing content drops for, you know, other dungeons, the temples and other areas on the island. And when it's all done, then we're going to have the whole thing together and we're going to try to get it onto the front of the posture. A lot to look forward to. And by the way, this is a gorgeous game. I love it when your hands turn into stars when you first come in. That's amazing. My signature question for my podcast is if people could only get one thing from you and your work about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from you? It's such a tough question. I think it would be more to encourage other people to do stuff that they love to do. Like it isn't about me, it's about you. I feel like there's a lot of people out there that have a lot that they could do if only they believe they could do it. And why not? Like everybody you see on television, on the news, they're just other people like you. Just go do stuff. Don't worry about it. Fail. Have fun. Fail a lot. Keep failing. Fail until you get it right. Let's go. Robin, thank you for your time today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. You and I have been listening to entrepreneur, musician, and software engineer Robin Mulder founder and CEO of Michigan-based software companies 3Pound XR and 3Pound Games. Get a look at 3Pound XR's training simulations on their YouTube channel, type in 3LBXR, that should come right up, and on their website, 3PoundXR.com. Also, find out more about 3Pound Games, including Space Dragon and their new game Vault of Stars on 3PoundGames.com. 3LBGames.com. These are visually beautiful games, and those puzzles are really going to make you think, speaking from experience. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.